Welcome to NCFM Today, a podcast about family medicine in the Old North State. This edition features an interview with Dr. Mary Hall, Senior Vice President of Medical Education and Chief Academic Officer at Atrium Health based in Charlotte, North Carolina. She's responsible for all academic programs, including undergraduate and graduate medical education, nursing and allied health, continuing education, and PA and MP fellowships, as well as physician leadership development. Dr. Hall is also a past president of the National Society of Teachers of Family Medicine and past chair of the National Council of Academic Family Medicine. I'm your host, Greg Griggs. Dr. Hall, welcome to our September podcast. Thanks, Greg. It's really great to be here. It's great to have this chance to talk to you. And, you know, first of all, just tell our listeners a little bit about your background and your journey to becoming a family physician leader in medicine. Thanks, Greg. It's always, you know, fun to talk about yourself, so I'll just have to keep it short. Um, it's, I think back to my beginning in family medicine, and I think of my mom. I was a chemistry major and I worked in the lab and she called once, I remember clearly and said, you're not a chemist, you're a family doctor. And that was a long time ago. And it was at the beginning of the specialty. And I'm so glad that she knew me so well and that I took her advice. Because if there's one thing in life, the whole, my whole long career, it's I love family medicine and caring for the patient. She was right. So then I um, went to Cornell University Medical School in Long Island, where I learned that people who are not family doctors are really nice people, too. Uh, None of my classmates um, knew what family medicine was. And I still remember all these years ago their incorrect concepts about what a family physician is. But then I moved south, and I have been in the south for over 35 years. After after medical school, I came to Charleston, South Carolina, who... I know them less well now, but I'm sure it's still the same. Back then, they were one of the best programs known for their holistic care of the patient. And this is what I'd like to say, and I'll end it here, but um, whenever we're doing so many wonderful things in the world right now, and medicine is changing so dramatically, and I feel like they're beginning to appreciate family. They don't know they're appreciating family medicine, but I know they are. Well, back then, we had social work. We had psychologists. We had addiction specialists. We had all kinds of people on our faculty, and we took care of populations, and we learned about what is now new to the rest of the world. So Charleston was a great place to train. Uh, I was going to say population health is family medicine has been doing that since the inception of the specialty. Everyone else is just really catching up, correct? Right. And so as a leader, you know, you're tempted, perhaps, I'm sure many of my colleagues are to say, well, for God's sakes, I learned that, you know, in the 80s. But that doesn't help. So instead, I say, well, thank God they got here. Thank God the forces around us in healthcare right now are forcing this to happen, care of the whole patient and prevention. So let's just enjoy it. And let's step up as family physicians and kind of show what we know how to do, because we know how to do it in our hearts and souls. You're exactly right. Uh, it's it's amazing to see this really evolution revolution uh, that we're watching right now in healthcare as we're moving towards value. As you're seeing the subspecialists uh, learn the importance of primary care, as you're seeing our healthcare system leaders learning the importance of uh, primary care. You're already a healthcare system leader. Uh, how, how did you end up as chief academic officer at one of our country's largest healthcare systems? 
So everyone is different in how they step onto their leadership journey and how they succeed um, at that. I think carefully, I used to say I was yanked up the leadership chain, uh, which, I, which wasn't really a great message to uh, younger uh, people, but um, opportunities presented themselves to me and um, I took them. So, what I want, so when I think about it, I say, I love my work. Make sure you're doing something you love and then do an outstanding job. If you want to be a leader, when I look around and I'm picking, and that's what I have the great opportunity to do now is pick leaders all the time. When I look at somebody who has a track record of loving what they do, bringing joy to their work and doing a really good job, being dependable and trustworthy. So that's kind of, I, I say, well, that got me in trouble um, because I kept getting yanked out of jobs that I actually was enjoying. When I became, it's been nine years, um, I was residency director for 10 years and then chair for eight years um, at Atrium Health. And then nine years ago, the, the chief academic officer at the time asked him to be the deputy. And I, I still remember throwing my head back and screaming, no, <laughs> you know, why would I leave family medicine? And um, I was actually miserable for the first year because those weren't my people then. I've now made people my people, even though they weren't originally. But um, to leave family medicine felt, well, I still see patients. They let me see patients, and I really appreciate it. I still teach bound groups. But to leave the department was difficult. But I thought, how can you affect change unless you go into places where they don't necessarily understand family medicine? So family medicine, I always say, is my um, heart and soul and passion whereas academics is my job, and I love that too, obviously, is what I've done my entire career. But um, anyway, so that seizing opportunities, saying yes, and then um, being prepared, getting the skill set you need, getting lots of feedback. <clears throat> and then so it, the opportunities kept being presented, and I kept taking them. If family physicians aren't willing to step up, uh, we really don't have a reason to complain about large systems or others not being willing to change. We need family physician leaders to step up and help build that change and influence that change. That's fantastic, Greg. That's exactly right. So when I was involved nationally, um, as you mentioned, one thing we kept seeing is that family physicians were asked to take big leadership roles. And so I like to step back around the country in different ways, you know, outside of being chair of a department. And, and my world is academic, so I've tried to stay connected to you, Greg. You know, I met you in, in, through that national work and got to know you well. And, and, try to, and I, was, I, I was, I am married to a family doctor so, who, who did, don't judge me, academic people, but who did real family, you know, was in the trenches, came home every night. I have ever heard about it every night. And he works for Novant. So, you know, that's that uh, I could hear the other side of that. But anyway, my point is um, family doctors, the way we care for patients, the way we think about the world, the way we think about systems of care, we're perfect for leadership opportunities. And we'll talk more about leadership, but um, the skill set we bring makes us um, excellent family doctors. And so, yes, one of my, um, a, a really important piece of leadership is to try to as quickly as possible get away from they. I know you feel like they. I, I suppose that's easy for me to say, you know, I, I am big brother. Um, I, that was shocking for me to learn that people thought of me as, you know, you know, 
big brother watching you, whatever. So, you know, easy for me to say, but my leadership journey and I, and the challenges I've had when I, when I resolved them, when they came to resolution, it was usually because I, I didn't think of the other person or the other party as they, I thought of them as another person I needed to learn about and understand so we could come to the right solution for the right reasons. So family doctors, do that well and they need to get involved yes uh, that's a great point uh you brought up stfm so i'm going to diverge a little bit and and just tell me a little bit about your role with national academic medicine and you know as president of sdfm as chair of CAFM, uh you really became a national advocate uh, for family medicine and for the academic role of family medicine yes um thank you that was the most fun, one of the most fun things I've had the opportunity to do. So from 2011, I guess, until um, recently, I was very involved in the national scene. So anyone, um, whether academic or, or practicing doc who wants to make a difference, getting involved in a state, number one, that's, that's um, you know, more locally, that's where real change happens is locally. Um, and then in the, in the country, it just helps you know that you don't have all the right answers. <laughs> you don't have all the right perspective. And so to meet people from all over the country and learn how they do things differently is really a great opportunity. When I was asked to be SDFM president, I actually said no twice. Again, my leadership journey, they asked me twice. I'm gonna stop for a little, uh, a little joke. I'm sorry, Bill Hansel, Greensboro, if you're out there. Um, so when I first was offered president of SDFM, and that's a 5,000 member group, Society of Teachers, Family Medicine, all the academic folks, it's our professional home. I was just so shocked. I was so flattered. I said, oh, my God. I said, I had, you know, I had no idea. Why are they asking me? It must just be that I'm fun at parties. And um, Bill Hensel said, no, Mary. He said, that's not right. You're not fun at parties. So anyway, that was a joke. But it was also something I remembered because why would I think I wasn't good enough to do that? Um, and, and women tend to do that. Some people who don't see themselves as leaders because they've only been a certain type of, I've only had men bosses. So that was my first reaction. So um, I had younger children then, so I couldn't quite say yes. And thank God they asked me a third time because it was fantastic. So I, I know I've counseled people with younger kids to, to try to do it if they can. Um, anyway, when they asked me to be present, I asked, what will be my involvement with CAFM? And CAFM was the Council of Academic Family Medicine. And, and this is to your point, Greg, that was going to give me the opportunity. So as president, you know, future, current, past, so for three years, president. And then I became captain chair. But that whole time I was involved in CAPM gets involved in something called the Working Party, which is a national organization with the leadership of each of the, I think, eight, though it might have changed. I've been out of the loop a little bit. Eight. No other specialty has eight leadership organizations. I mean, it's kind of nuts. They think of us a little crazy. But anyway, we have eight. And, and, and one of those eight is the Academy of Family Physicians. And so I got to know the leaders of the Academy of Family Physicians, which represents family physicians all over the country, the largest specialty in the country. And um, so we could unify in our efforts. And um, the Academy shares um, the Society of Family Medicine's primary goal of de developing our future workforce, creating our, that's my, that's my passion is how are we going to get young people to want to be family physicians and serve our country. So that's what was fun about it. It's always worth it. Exhaust you. It took me a year to catch up when I was finished, but um, it's worth it. Well, 
Well, you know, speaking of that pipeline, talk about your current role at Atrium and how you are creating, you know, the workforce and healthcare for tomorrow through your through your role. Thanks. So um, everyone doesn't know. So Atrium Health is not a traditional university, you know, not yet. Um, and yet we have been, our mission has been education, academics, research for a long time. I came um, 33 years ago to begin the family medicine clerkship. Um, so now at Atrium Health, we have um, 360 residents and fellows. So it's, it's bigger than most people know. Uh, currently have the um, branch campus of the UNC School of Medicine, which has been a great privilege to work with my partners at UNC. Um, and and then um, all of our allied health. So the, the benefit for me, um, number one, I'm a decision maker. So, you know, if somebody's trying to start a residency or a fellowship that this country does not need, you know, my question is, why does this country need that type of specialty? Because if the country or the state or our region does not need more blank, then please help me understand why we're going to spend money on creating it. So to be in that position, because for those who don't know, you know, um, all bets are off. I don't know the latest data about, because the world is changing so dramatically, but previous data, Barbara Starfield, that at least 40 to 50% of the country should be family physicians, excuse me, primary care, 40 to 50% should be primary care in order to achieve the quality and um, efficiency outcomes that we want. So how do I get us there? And so that's been my, my opportunity to make sure family medicine primary care is interwoven and teams. So specialists who are my best friends now, you know, they know how to work with primary care doctors, but teams involve our APP colleagues, our dietitians. So I said at the beginning, social workers, and you know, we cannot do what we need to do without our entire team. So creating a team and, um, so being in charge of education for all specialties, as well as the depth of medical school to CME, you know, by the way, I don't do anything. I mean, how could I do all that myself? So, you know, I, I um, one of my skill sets, and I am proud of it, is to hire fantastic people and to spend good, intense time picking the right people for the right job to do the right things. And I, I want them all to be service oriented, meaning serving uh, I serve the learners because I'm teaching them how to serve the patients, and that's what it's all about. So I have a fantastic team, and we work together to create that pipeline. Well, you're getting ready to go through a pretty significant transition with Atrium, partnering with uh, Wake Forest uh, Baptist Medical Center and Wake Forest School of Medicine, ultimately bringing a campus of Wake Forest to Charlotte. Tell us a little bit about that and, and what's happening and, and what your role may be going forward with that campus. Thanks, Greg. And so to bring that uh, back a little bit in April of 20, um, what year is this? <laughs> April of 2018, um, so a long time ago, um, we announced that we had the intention to form what we're calling a strategic combination um, with Wake Forest and that we would bring that campus. So we have had a few little bumps with, with um, getting approval from the FTC. So that is still in process. So I can't uh, say too much. In fact, but I'll, I will say what I can. And I will say also that it's really hard not to be able to share everything because it's, it's going to be a fantastic opportunity. My own faculty, we have 400 faculty at HM Health. So my own faculty don't know hardly anything. And I, I don't lead that way. I lead by being as transparent as possible. So that's, that's difficult. I know you understand that. 
Um, and I do want to first give a shout out to my colleagues at UNC. It wasn't my choice. Um, I mean, I wasn't, I'm not that high up to make the decision to do this. So this, this happened. And so you, as with any leadership thing, you quickly figure out what the opportunity is and you jump on board. Um, so um, we'll be, um, we've had the great privilege to teach our UNC students um, 40 years. Um, and um, we currently have a, a clinical class. We've taken our last third year class. Um, so we're working with them and then through their fourth year. So we will have UNC students and we have focused on them and giving them the best education they can have um, through um, spring. I'm going to sit here and not know what month this is. So, you know, another year and a half because these third years have to become fourth years. And so they will have our uh, it's divided attention. But when we're with this, just like when you have a lot of kids, you know, you focus on them. And so um, I want to just say that in the 40 year partnership I've had with some fantastic colleagues at UNC. But Wake, I'm getting to know them very well. And so we have started planning. There is no reason to start another medical school in North Carolina unless we create a very different medical school that can really create a different position. Um, who is, um, sometimes we say if we, if this has gone faster and we were already building a building before COVID, we would have built the wrong building. Um, so now with COVID and the um, incredibly dramatic changes that have affected all of us, how quickly we've changed, how we see patients, how we care for patients, how we teach, how we learn, uh, incredibly dramatic. And so we're using all that information. So we've been put on pause because of COVID, we've been put on pause because of the FTC, but we have begun again to start just planning together about what we can be together and we'll, um, I've had family doctors reach out to me when they know that I'm um, centered to this work here in Atrium um, and, and um, say, you better have primary care. You better. I said, really? Do you, you do not know who I am. And so um, we will have the right, a medical school that develops the physician um, for the, it's not, for, it's for the future, but it's for now. And, um, and so my role going forward will be um, working with, um, you know, the dean at Wake Forest will be the dean, and I, I uh, and I will 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 work at how that leadership structure works moving forward. I, uh, you know, I'd like to say that COVID has really shown everything that's wrong with healthcare, and particularly our fee for service delivery system, and everything that should be right with value based care, population health, with uh, you know family medicine at the forefront leading the way. You know, Greg, um, let me just take this opportunity to say you're a fantastic executive director of the North Carolina Academy of Family Physicians. I've known you and worked with you now for the past 10 years, and um, you just understand healthcare, and you really, you have you have our backs because you have patients back, uh, and I really appreciate you. That's exactly right. Uh, uh, I, I love working for family physicians. Uh, I've I, I know family physicians are putting the patients first, putting their communities first. Uh, it's more than just the individual patient, it's their whole community. And, and uh, that's a great thing. Uh, as we close out our conversation, is there one piece of advice uh, you could give to that family physician, you know, maybe making that next step in leadership? We talked a little bit about it, but what's the one thing you would have them do going forward? So we have talked about it. Um, I would, I would, people who want to step into leadership, um, get the skills, um, actually as part of our working party work nationally, that's, that's academics, but the, the lessons still hold for all physicians. We developed sort of 
the toolbox of where you can go to get educated as a leader. And that's on the, um, I think it's on the WFP website, actually. Um, and so the skill set and be ready. And then when you have opportunities, take them. We also did some work about leadership nationally. Um, and we, we um, also talked about the importance of mentorship and sponsorship. And the difference is mentors um, work closely with you to help develop you, give you feedback. If they're good mentors, they're giving you feedback you don't want to hear. Um, and, and you need a few of them because you need to find the right people for you. And sponsorship means that somebody's going to put you up for a position. And I have a very uh, a careful process by which I look around and try to find young leaders who need to get people of color, women, or focused. I love men, married to one. But, you know, um, we, we need to have a diverse, very diverse uh, leadership um, leadership. Um, so that we have a diverse workforce. I hadn't mentioned that till now with everything happening in the world. We must have a diverse workforce. That's going to be a central part of our new med school too. Um, but the, I'll leave with this message because I think it's so important for leadership and it's what family doctors need to do well. And they do do well. If you don't do it well, you're sometimes not happy. It's empathy. And so in leadership, when I'm leading, um, and things are messy and I'm uh, pulling out my head and feeling the emotions. I, I try to remember to step back, just like when a patient is making you angry, step back and try to figure it out. Try to figure out what, where that person's coming from. What, what, what's, what's hitting on them? What's the other side? What's, what's um, driving them to act whatever way they're acting or to present whatever they're presenting? And I can always figure it out that way. And then you work together. So as a, as a family physician, work on your empathy skills, on understanding the other. It's what we do with our patients. It's what I think a good leader knows how to do. Uh, that's a great point to end on, Dr. Hall. You know, sometimes it's just about having those conversations with others and, and trying to understand where they're coming from. And I think that's a lost art. And if we take it back to those skills that family physicians learn on dealing with patients and translate those into other ways, we can have great family physician leaders. And also mm -hmm. uh, love, you know, summarize one of your comments. If the door opens, walk through it. You know, don't hesitate to to get out of your comfort zone, so. so right, if you, if nobody, they've also done studies of, you know, men, and we, we can learn from them. They get offered an opportunity statistically, and they go, cool, I'll, let me try that out, or there's an opportunity. And women go, I can't do that job. Well, why the heck would you know how to do a job you haven't done yet? Right. I mean, step up and, and get help, and, and it's at least, it's at least 12 to 18 months to learn a new job, that's my. <laughs> Uh, Takes a while. I agree with that 100%. Thank you for joining us today. I think we could talk all day. It's just a great conversation. Hopefully, we can have you back again in the future. Uh, once again, that has been Mary Hall, a family physician in Charlotte and Senior Vice President of Medical Education and Chief Academic Officer at Atrium Health. Thanks for joining us and stay on the lookout for the next edition of NCFM Today.